HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Steve Mathiason from Mathiason Wines in California. We'll talk to Steve about Farmers First, Sustainability, Mathiason Wines, and more. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Steve Mathiason studied philosophy in college, but thankfully moved on to horticulture in grad school at UC Davis, finding his way into vineyards and orchards, working for a small, sustainable agriculture firm. Steve started consulting on vineyard practices and helped co-write the book on these practices in California. In 2003, Steve started primarily focusing on his family farm and winemaking operation, Mathiason Wines. The San Francisco Chronicle and Food and Wine magazine named Steve winemaker of the year. Viticulture and horticulture are just as important to Steve as grapes and winemaking. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Steve. Thank you. Steve, you know, I've been chasing you around probably a good six, seven months already. And ironically, I get to meet up with you down at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, which is my pleasure, you know, to sit with you. Um, But I was hoping to get you in studio or maybe to get you to call in. But, you know, it's great to have you here. So uh, thank you for sitting with us. Um, I wanted to give the audience a sense of who you are and where you came from. Let's not assume everybody, you know, knows that. So give me a quick background in your journey in life and in wine 
that got you pretty much to where you are now, which is, you know, Matthias and Wines. We could start, you were born in Canada. Yeah, there you okay. go. Yeah, I mean, right now we're a small family business. My wife and I own it and run it, and we farm grapes, and we farm some other crops and fruit trees, sell them in the farmer's market, make jams, and then we make wine and sell our wine. And we have two sons. And, the, and so... Um, but do they take, help out with our you? sons. Our sons do help out. They help out more at the farmer's market. They help out when they were little. If they wanted money, their <laughs> friends were over. I'd say, no problem. I'll give you a nickel of vine if you tie the vine up or if you, you know, just give them a job and pay them. You had to pay them. We, we call it peace rate in agriculture right. because it um, keep them motivated. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, so they've always helped out. And one's in college now, one's in high school. And they're figuring out what they're going to do with their lives. Um, do you sense... They have any interest in coming yeah, the, back the, with you? Well, the older one is get, is um, right now. Not they're not they're planning on going out into the world, but but the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. The older ones in college is into sustainable agriculture. He's living in the, this house in college that has the student farm. It's the house that has the student farm. He's um, you know they're cooking. He's he's stealing. Um, Sounds a little familiar. Yeah, exactly. Right? He's stealing juice from the cafeteria and fermenting it in his room. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> he's too cheap to go buy. He's like, why would I go buy this terrible beer when I can just make terrible alcohol for free with juice from the cafeteria? There you go. Well, go so, <laughs> go backwards for me a little because you brought up a point yeah. about your son and you. I mean, I think you're a horticulturist and a vin- viticulturist first. Yeah. You, you know, I think the farming oh. thing and. I mean, you went to college to go to college, but fortunately, I think when you study philosophy, yeah. you didn't stay on that course. Yeah. You kind of found your love. So just kind of walk me through there. It was UC yeah. Davis. and Well, all. I went to, yeah, I mean, so I went to philosophy in the Little Liberal Arts School, but we had a garden in the yard. Um, was, you know, that was what, you know, so when I, when, I w- I, when I was a kid, that's when I started being fascinated with farming and um just farming, farms. But where? Because if you grew so up in the Bronx, up, that could yeah. be hard. Well, it was hard, though, because I grew up in in, in Winnipeg, which is an urban city. Right. But I had um, my great aunt lived in North Dakota, and we would visit her every single summer and um, and stay out. On, and and they, that was very rural. And go visit the old family farm there. And that then, was like a sandbox and a toolbox for you. Oh, yeah. She, would, she had a riding mower, and she'd always, like, save lawn mowing for when I got there so I could mow her lawn and stuff and and um and then and then and we'd go out and I'd go out and walk into the wheat fields and just kind of um commune with the openness and the emptiness and climb on the tractors and stuff and then and then my, my parents split up when I was seven and I got shipped off for the summer up to um as it was leading up to them splitting up I got shipped off up to my um cousin's farm in Manitoba which is where, Hans, where Winnipeg is and that was right. a wheat you know so he's spent that time and then so that, then in my, when, my, when my parents split up and we moved down my mom and my sister and I moved down to Tucson Arizona um, it's another interesting kind of yeah rolling not farmland but, oh, but it's all about terrain, the outdoors terrain, open yeah. big sky the you know you see the rocks the cactus and I, I had um, a um, pretty bad ADD and went to a, to a special unstructured school that was kind of out in the desert and they had um, like um, goats and chickens and every kid had one row in the garden it was like a hippie school this was in the 70s 
and um, and you so love that though. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, because so you know, and, and then it was just out. So I was either out in the desert, roaming around with my friends, you know, or work or with the horses or the goats, or you know, or planting radishes and what have you. And so that just kind of, it, but you know, so that always carried through. But then you think, you know, so I go to college, and um, it wasn't, you know, like like I. Um, it, it hadn't occurred to me that you could be a farmer, right? When you're a city kid like that, even though I had, had those experiences out on the farm, it wasn't right. my direct family, it was my cousins. And so, um, so you know, so I went to college and this, you know, but I didn't really have a career path or any real interest because the only thing I cared about but was... But undergrad, you went to college. Undergrad, Nothing yeah. to do with any undergrad, of these no, interests. I studied philosophy. Didn't you go where Nixon went? Yeah, Nixon went there, but yeah. it was a Quaker, Quaker school, though. It was... Lot in common there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we had our garden. We would I brewed beer, um, drank wine, and um, and just we cooked a lot. I lived in the, you know my buddies and I lived in this rented this house. And we cooked a lot and 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 um, did, you know and I figured well I was major in philosophy because I'm not going to be a doctor, or a lawyer, or engineer, or any of that stuff because really the only thing I care about is growing things and making beer and good meals, right? And so, so when I, I got out, moved to San Francisco, and worked as a bike messenger, and had a garden, and kept making beer, and kept drinking the what wine I could afford, and then I f- found out about UC Davis, that they had an agriculture school. It's like the mecca. Yeah, and somehow I just had didn't know that, and so when I found out about it, I immediately applied and managed to get in, and um, for to study it, um, international agricultural development. I was planning to travel to third world countries. And um, and tried to work with organic farming. You must have shit when you got there. Oh, it was, it like, was like everything. Mecca. I w- it was right. everything. I was looking yeah. at the catalog. I remember looking at the library and looking the, in San Francisco. This is pre-internet, right? So uh, you had to go to the library and look at the course catalog and we're thumbing through the pages. And I'm going, holy crap! A whole department called soil science. <laughs> you know, they have a you know usually the courses soil microbiology. One man's porn is another man's soil. <laughs> yeah, <right>? exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, there, there, there's a, you know, department of plant pathology, just a whole department just studying the diseases of plants. I mean, so uh, yeah, so, I, so I got there, said I'm going to learn everything I can about organic farming, and got an internship working for a consulting company, in the Central Valley of California that focused on helping growers reduce their pesticide use, and they worked in almonds, peaches, walnuts, and wine grapes. It's an interesting story because it's a big commodity farm, and yeah. why would they give a crap about sustainability? But that's where you came in and helped yeah. them, and kind of wrote the book about it, right? Yeah, well, eventually, yeah, because actually, so I ended up staying with that consulting company for four more years, and then after I got out, I graduated, got my master's from Davis, and stayed with them, and then, and it was it was small family. A lot of their clients were small family farmers, and then right. they had some big guys. It was a large area, but it was made up of, of all different all different sizes yeah. of farmers, which yep. kind of plays to of your the, passion. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. And so they, that so well, and that's when I was at that, at that point. I'm not making beer anymore. I'm making wine because I'm just getting grapes out of the places that where I worked. Can you clear you know? something up for me at some point in doing a little research? I read that your wife Jill hired you as an intern at some point. Is that true? Is that this or somewhere well, else? That, that, that so, yes and no. <laughs> okay, because she the the um, internship was with this consulting company that worked on the tree fruit and the grapes, 
and the money they got to hire me was from a grant. They were they were hired on as the consulting company for this grant for reducing pesticide use in almond orchards, and she was working for a nonprofit that got the grant, and she was administering. Ah. So she so they was their decision when not to hire me, but her chime in vote vote was why would you hire him? He has no experience. It's <laughs> cute. She has been my bus- the business mind in our business the entire time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I, she, glad- I, I get the stupid ideas, and she says, why would you do that? Gladly you have somebody who does that. And then if that. you fight for it and she gives in, usually, then it's a good idea. So with all that work, you wound up writing about sustainability in a manual, and it was yeah. adopted by the state, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I left down there. I left and we ended up working for the Lodi Wine Great Commission, and, that's, and we... Um, to two, write this manual on sustainable practices. And not long after, you became a consultant and then moved towards your own direction. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, worked, for, worked doing research for a winery called R.H. Phillips back then. Before They were an independently were owned big. winery back then. They were big, but they were independently owned at that time. Right. And then um, and then went to Napa and started our own business. Which was when? Like about in, in 02, 03? 02, January okay. of 02. All right, so we'll kind of take it from there. But I want to sort of get into a couple of mindsets that you have. You know, you say wine is made in the vineyard and farmers first, which everything you've done kind of leads to that mentality. Explain that, because a lot of people think wine's made in the cellar. Or, oh, yeah. You know, you're... you're well, well, I mean, I think most wine people agree that the terroir has a, is kind of has defines the style of the wine, hopefully, right? You can... That's with it in the cellar, but basically by the terroir. The, the, with my take on that is yes, but because, because I really think that the the craft of viticulture, the human in, aspect of farming the grapes, that's what is when you say we're making the wine because you know because the, the, the site there the site kind of is what it is, and you know it's going to have certain characteristics, but within that there's still a huge range of what the wine is going to be like, how good it's going to be and how consistent it's going to be and that's where the farming comes in and, and so when we say we're making wine like right now in springtime in Napa you know I was, I was busy leading up to coming here for this trip because we've been organizing getting going on mowing and disking our cover crops and finishing pruning and all three of those I consider those winemaking so like the cover crops right are, but it's also sustainability well, stuff sustainability and wine, and good wine generally in the right. vineyard those are all but not everyone practices always, I mean we're yeah. sitting here with our friend Nathan Roberts who agrees with everything you say not everyone does it but um, yeah but that's that's where you know the farming part comes so they, in. like the cover crop is a perfect example where it's sustainable you need a cover crop planting plant, making sure there's stuff growing between the vines is for sustainability, water, better water infiltration, less soil erosion, less carbon footprint, sequestering carbon, habitat, all that stuff for sustainability. But for wine quality, that's how you adjust the vigor of the vine, which is critical for wine quality. So if you, so like right now, when we're making the wine this year, because I'm looking at the soil moisture, looking at the weather, and the blocks of grapes we want to reduce the vigor on, so which will improve our wine quality, so we're ex- leaving the cover crop ex- in. Ex- it, that's not too nerdy, but explain to the listeners. You want to reduce the vigor, which yeah. means so. So, the, so to the you listeners, you don't want the grape or the the, the grapevine has to grow a, a certain amount, right? right? Naturally, if the grapevine grape grows too much, that's we call that too vigorous. It grows too much, too strong. Then you, what you do is you you get diluted, weak. Takes thin away from the quality fruit. of the fruit. Yeah, you okay. get really weak wine. 
if it doesn't grow enough, you get weak wine that's also bitter, weak in a different way. Rather than being like lacking in everything and kind of watery, if it's too low in vigor, it's kind of, you get a real hollow and, and kind of bitter nastiness, not very fruity, not good. Right. If they're just grows just right, that's when you have the generous, nice, rich, complete wine. And so the, with viticulture, we're all year looking at the vine and thinking, okay, how do we help these vines grow more? And these vines, how do we get these vines to not grow so much? And so our cover, so in the spring, when we're, our cover crop is taking water out of the soil. And so it's, it's competing with the vines. Which so you the, want. We want if they're too Because you don't want strong. as much water, if, so it wouldn't be too vigorous. Yeah. So, right. But if they're not vigorous enough, then you we got to get, get them out of there. we got to get the cover right. crop out of there. So that's why we're making the wine right now, even though it's springtime. Right. Um, I guess it's fair to ask this. I mean, climate change, too little rain, too much rain, fires. I mean, has that changed the way you plant and farm? I mean, you just said that oh, yeah. you have to kind of control the bigger season by season. Yeah. But I'm talking the, the bigger picture, you know, the dome above all of that. Yeah, I mean, well, are you doing different practices for climate now? Change, we are, for climate change, we're, we're totally changing how we do things. Give and me an so, example. Okay, so planting a new vineyard, we're using way more vigorous rootstocks. The whole trend for the last 20, 30 years was lower vigor rootstocks for better wine quality. And then, but now I'm planting very vigorous rootstocks and then hoping that with our that we can use vigorous native grasses to hold the vigor down, but that way they have deep roots so they can handle more and more droughts and heat events coming down the road. So the root system gives them more survivability or yeah. better in that condition. Yeah, it used to that. be you wanted a shallow root system that you could control. Now so, we're going for so I've changed that going for a deep root system so the vine can withstand you know bad weather conditions so if i'm a winery and i want to take you on as a consultant and i say to you these are the type of wines i want to grow is the way you want to grow it would that potentially net a different product than what i'm looking for like you and i could sort of have a clash um no well because i mean most of the consulting i do because i still do a lot of consulting for other wineries right and and a lot of them have different styles of wine than what i have but a healthy balanced vine is a healthy balanced vine so 98% of it is the same no matter what style of wine you're trying to make. Most of my clients would like to have their alcohols a little lower and they're working on it. It's just, but, I mean, is um, it fair to say that's why they come to you? Because they know that's yeah, kind of where your head is at? I, I think that's fair to say, You know, yeah. if they want a big alcohol, have some opulent ba- wine, you ain't the guy. Well, we, it, uh, uh, I do have clients who make pretty big high alcohol opulent wines. But they still, there's still stuff I, I can help them with in the vineyard. To right. Help, to help I'm them not get knocking there. <laughs> yeah. big high out, you know. Yeah. I mean, but it, because makes... the, the, the viticulture, I had someone in New York saying, like, how is it that, because some of my clients though have never even tasted their wines, believe it or not. I believe it. And because it's irrelevant, it was so much, and the guy in New York saying, well, how can that be? How can that, what, you, don't you have to taste, know where you're going with the wine? It's like, well, but healthy, balanced vines, that's a fundamental. Right. Right. So at the so, very least, from you, yeah. they'll get their style, but they'll get they, they, they can work on the viticulture. When, the, when they're going to pick the grapes, they can pick it riper. That's up to them, you know. And if I know they're going to pick it riper, we might do a few things differently. From, but mainly balanced vines. What because a lot of it is like is having why what you know that end of the vineyard the vines are sick. Why are they sick? That end of the vineyard they're growing too much, you know. Um, 
you know, these are not um, wine style questions. These are good. These are, but like they, you know, these are farming, like. yeah. farming questions. That, right. So we need to deal with all that stuff. And so a lot of times it's basics like that, trying to get the vineyard even. And then, so then they're, you know, so it's not really a wine quality issue. Right. So I mean, it's, it becomes a wine quality issue, but not a wine style issue is what I mean to say. It's a wine quality issue, but not a wine style issue. So, so you're consulting multiple vineyards, so you have to find time, balance your time. I would assume you have a business that pays the bills, plus I know you're making a lot of different wines, which takes up time. How do you split your time? Um, got a great partner in Jill to keep, keep me on the track. The business part, and the, right? she take, the business part's taken care of. And, um, and on our side, we have a great team. It used to be a lot harder when I was doing a lot more of it myself. And... Uh, now, you know, I get to be a little more of the coach, um, but it's really hard to split my time. But uh, unfortunately, we didn't start with any money, and so so that we've always the consulting. I have to, we have to do the consulting right. because we're trying still building our business. We just bought our winery this year, and we just, so we bought a new vineyard with the winery on it. This is a big so we'll thing for us. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Because like when I was when I was a kid, when we moved down to Tucson, we were in a trailer park. Just to put it in perspective. <laughs> okay. So, so, so it's like, how do you split your time? It's like, it's not by choice. But, right. You know, we need to, right. you know, we need to keep. You do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. It's just, so you just um, make it work. You know, I want to talk to you about Matthias and all the wines, the whole model and all that. But are you a guy that holds farming in the field to a higher calling than actually winemaking in the cellar? Or I, I know it's a yeah, loaded I mean, I question. Lo- I, I love them both, but, it, but let's just say that. In terms of the complexity and the time to learn, it's 80% field, 20% seller. Nathan, what do you, do you agree? I mean, are you 60-40 or <laughs> you similar practices? Oh, well, I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, I, I think fundamentally that the vineyard is uh, much much more complex than, than the right. seller work. The and you work. spend sure. a lot of time yeah. there. It's important. Yes, it's course, not grow yeah. the grapes, let's get them in there and make no, wine. No, it's it, grow the... Right. Exactly. So yeah. it is, at the very least, an equal, but to you, and I'm sure Nathan, it's uh, the farming and the viticulture. Yeah, I mean, the, the entire wine business is complex with the sales and packaging, figuring out corks and stuff. But I guess, you know, but the winemaking, I mean, the vineyard side is just, um, is it this sort of complex, multi-headed beast that you will right. never in your lifetime feel like you've mastered. Way, way more facets to that yeah, it's just than so many, what you need just so to, many have facets to do in with the, the living plants and soil. You agree, Nathan? Just oh. way more stuff going on out in the farm Definitely. than in the cellar. I mean, and just uh, dealing with things that are out of your control with the weather and the right. seasons and right. each, yeah. you know one year versus the next but uh, not in the vineyard is but know, not everybody so. looks at the way you guys do not everybody in a good way fixates on it you know yeah. they just do it they bring me on. the grapes yeah um do you guys see yourselves as sort of individualists in napa i mean napa's not that old but it's somewhat homogenous in what they've been doing I mean, you, you're 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 kind of bucking the trend a little. Nathan's bucking the trend a little. I mean, do you? I, I would feel like first of all, do you give a shit? Probably. Well, not. kind of. Yeah, I mean, kind of no. I mean, I've I've always been an individualist. When I was a skateboarder, 
um, I was against the homogenization of skateboarding tricks, just to put it in perspective. <laughs> okay, and so um, you know, so um, because they would be so trendy and when everyone's you know, and so it's um, so that's where my head's how I'm wired, right. right? And so it's nothing about you know. So I could be making wine in Beaujolais or Burgundy or Napa or anything else. For me personally. I would be bucking the trend. It's how I'm wired. You did it more because right because it's how I, how I want to do it. You know, just to I show them right. Well, it's not, yeah, it's not even it's not necessarily as a rebel thing, but I just do what I want to do. I don't just don't really consider what other people are doing. Right. And uh, you know, but but um, but uh, wine regions are conformist anywhere in the world. One of the th reasons that George Vera brought the Ribola Gialla over was because Ribola Gialla is which we love Ribola Gialla make Ribola Gialla that. Is one of the few wine varieties that, in its place of origin, people do different things, wildly different things. Right. You know, so many wine regions. It's like they just. It's just part of our human nature, I guess. Is Perfect grape to bring here and do what you want with it. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it represents a, a, a level of freedom and nonconformity. All right, let's let's talk about Matthiasson wines a little. Um, we're talking to Steve Matthiasson. We're also sitting at the table. We've been graced by. Uh, Nathan Roberts and Harry Root, who's a guy who's been able to get a lot of good wine into town through the years um, as a importer distributor. Um, so you, I think both you guys like to make wines you like to drink, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean that sort of bottom line. It's like, what do I like to drink? Yeah. that's what I'm gonna go make and all yeah. of that. Is that a fair statement oh, yeah. and all that? Um, so you have a philosophy and a mantra for the type of grapes you grow and the wines that you want to make. So let's start with that. Low alcohol wines. Okay. What, what's, you know, what's a Matthias in profile? And then we'll get into the fact that you're doing a million grapes. Yeah, like okay. Well, I mean, I think that I'm, I'm, we're very focused on the grape, the grape tasting like the varietal. And that comes again out of a horticulture tradition. You know, if you're growing a... a um, like I'm fascinated with the variety, right? If you're a gardener and you have your heirloom tomatoes, you're fascinated with the with the different heirlooms, the marble stripe, etc. And what, how do they grow? What do they taste like, etc. And so I'm really fascinated with the grape variety. That's for me personally more of a fascination than the soil per se. I want the soil's important, the site's important, but I'm, my fascination is the grape, the heritage. The these these are all heirlooms that we're growing. These grape varieties, I go back hundreds and hundreds of years, and so. I, I, our, I like for our wines that if it says Chardonnay, it tastes like Chardonnay in a, in a classic sense. Not a, not a spoofed up Chardonnay, but just a nice pure, what does that grape actually taste like? Hopefully the sense of, what, of eating the grape carries through the fresh fruits. Do you, do you use oak for your Chardonnay? We do. And, well, it depends on the Chardonnay. We have three single vineyard Chardonnays, and um, um, two of them have a little bit of oak. One has no oak. But they're all fermented in oak barrels. but Two of them has a little new oak. The other has no new oak. But I think that a little oak in the in the right Chardonnay is traditional with Chardonnay. Right. So, but the idea is not to mask the Chardonnay, but lift it. Right. Right. But alcohol levels and natural, good fresh acidity and moderate alcohol is really important to me. You know, and some fresh people freshness, freshness. Yeah, acidity absolutely. Freshness makes the wine interesting. Good food wine. Yeah, food is food. The, Food compatibility is, is is paramount, you know, and, and so that comes with with the good fret. With I mean, if it tastes like the grape and it has good fresh acidity and moderate alcohol, the chances are it's going to go with food, you know. This may be a silly question, but is there a threshold on the alcohol? It's like I ain't going over 13, 13 and a half. Does that create a wine that ultimately 
is not going to be what you like or like to drink? Um, or it depends on the grape, the wine, no, or you don't get there often. Um, if Well, I rarely have to fight that because all the work we do in the vineyard, we use, I'm happy with to pick the grapes before the sugars get too high. So talk about that is, a little. You tend to pick early. Yeah. And the reason is, the re- well, they pick it early. helps you get to the style, but explain why. Yeah, I mean, pick, so picking early allows uh, the alcohol to be moderate, the acidity to be there, the flavors to be fresher. I don't get, like, like with our wines, I do not like them to let them get into the, any kind of the jammy or even or cooked flavors at all. So that's all. the flip want side. fresh, crunchy flavors. If they sit on the vine, yeah. they'll get sweeter, the bricks will go up. That'll create a jamminess. The alcohol yeah. will go up. Yeah, exactly. And and that's and all of that stuff is like I, I, I don't want to go there. I want, I'm trying to capture it at the peak where it's still fresh and like you know crunchy, like crunching into an apple. That's how the sensation we want with our wines. Our wines are not a a you know like a stewed right. pear. It's a crunchy right. hard apple. That's and so so that all goes with alcohol. But also it's important to me health wise that the alcohol is moderate. You know so. It, you know, I make a point of grabbing the vine, the fruit before the alcohol is going to be high because I don't want high alcohol. You know, we have alcoholism in our family. I, I actually get headaches from overly ripe um, wines, especially overly ripe red wines. I, I, you know, I want to make a wine that's, that's, you know, everything we've been doing is about organic farming. My wife worked for 12 years in the local food movement right. in, you know, Northern California. You know, our wine, if, if you can imagine like farm to table, imagine that ethic. What, the, what food would you have at a good farm to table restaurant buying from local chefs? That's what we, our wine distilled in there. That, that's the ethic, right. that's the whole um, ethos. Um, so, talk to me about, talk to me about, let's talk about physical property. I mean, you own land, you contract some grapes. Now's the time to talk about the fact that you have a winery now. Mm-hmm. So just tell me the wines that you're making are coming from where? I know that behind your house you have vines and property. I know the woman who owns the house next to the property, you buy grapes and all that. But yeah. where is everything coming from right now? Okay, so we own, we own two vineyards. We lease. Those are contiguous. No, to the two, ha- two different. One at the house, one at where the winery okay. is, and then we lease seven vineyards. So the leases are basically long-term um, arrangements where we—it's a true lease, as if you were leasing a retail space or something. We operate it. It's our vineyard. It's an estate vineyard. We farm it organically, and we um, and we pay a rent check to the owner. So it's our employees, but she's sort our of tractors. A partner. I mean, she well, they, buys into they're a tenant. The owners tenant. are all. Are, oh, sorry, the, we're tenants. You're the owners the are landlords. But she gets what you're doing. Oh yeah, they all do. Yeah, they all do. And um, and um, you know, it's, most of our leases are actually like retirement homes and or second homes in Napa. Who then they and there was a, they, there's a vineyard there, and they would have hired someone to farm it for them. We lease it, so it's great because it's a way that we can have expand our estate vineyards without having to come up with the cash. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, 
long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. So, Steve, you we were talking about a property in the winery. The winery is a recent acquisition, right? Yeah. So that is a physical structure or yeah. something you're building? The physical structure. Where so we, tell we, me where, what it is. Just give me a little Oh, yeah. Bit. Well, the winery is a... It's a simple little winery that the family we bought it from. They he he built it themselves. Where like, is literally it exactly? Themselves. It's it's about a mile west of us on Dry Creek Road. Na- Napa has a Dry okay, Creek Road right. as well, and um, right up what against town? the hills, town of Napa. It is the town of Napa. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, it's less than a mile from our house. Right. And you know, and the, we it was mothballed. Really neat couple. He um, he built it himself with his own hands, and so we managed. We we were leasing the vineyard next door, so I got to know him. He didn't want to sell to to someone who's going to just um, build some giant McMansion and, and giant architect design winery, and um, and and he was kind of land rich, cash poor at that point. Um, you know, it was it was always a sideline, and his main job was as a surveyor. He's working kind of guy, and so we we we. Um, Connected and really um, liked each other, and we offered him a lifetime estate, so that way they could, you know, see and his wife can live on that property for as long as they live. And then, because we already have a house, right. and it worked out perfectly, so that got the price down to um, to where we could afford it. Smart setup. Yeah, and so we, re- we 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 redid the inside in terms of just in terms of electrical, compressed air. All so you're stuff not and, doing much with the building. You're no. updating. We did, you're we redoing the inside. We just, yeah, make this, the flow to how you want to you know, exactly work and right. make wine and yep. all of that. Yeah, because it was we just needed to update it. It's simple. It's exactly our style. We're, we're and it has a 30 year old Cabernet vineyard on it, which we're really happy about. So two things. It sounds like you're trying to get to like a vineyard own model. Right? Would yeah, I mean, that's really the but model. But I, I need you to explain to people what a vineyard okay. model is. It's a European thing. It's, but more, yeah. it's not what you're doing now, but it's a place you want to get to. And it's yeah, a, I mean, I kind of feel like we're there in the sense that, you know, that is that, you know we were always stuck on the vineyard on, you know, the idea that you farm your own vineyard and then make the wine yourself. And it's, the, it's one continuous process from pruning the vines to selling the wine and everything Total in between. Total vertical. Total vertical, right? And so, and making a living off of it. Yeah, and feeding your family, right. and that's and and so, you know, we we had the vineyard side, which was is actually kind of unusual now for um, in California. But you know, we we were but then we were renting space, custom crushing for the wine side. So now that we got the the winery, you know, we we have we're 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 there. I feel we're you know, I mean, I, 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 there's not in terms of what I'm trying to achieve now. We're there, you know. We have the vineyards, we have the winery. When it's are you working? Gonna, are you, or when are you going to make your first this, wines? This fall, we did. 2017. Yeah. So the first vintage in the new winery is the 2017. Yeah, and we got everything picked before the fires. And um, you know, it was it actually turned the out to be a great year for, for you us. Personally, had no yeah for major us personally, no major. It was freaky at the time, and it was horrible. Oh sure, but it was but we um, escaped it so. 
anybody very, close or everybody in that channel? Um, I have some clients it? that got you know um, got hit. Wow. And but uh, but you know our area we were okay, so we're fortunate. All right, so let's talk about. So now you have your winery, you have your property. Um, are you? I guess it's are you and can you get into an acquisition mode for more property? No, we the don't acquisition want part is money, so I'm yeah, not exactly. going to take that for granted. No, but we, we, are you at a place where you're farming what you? We don't want. You know, now that we got the 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 last piece of the puzzle was the winery, and we're very conscious about like our you know our goals and you know and our what we want out of this business, and you know, and if we grow anymore, it's gonna we're gonna start being. Um, I don't want to be a manager, you know. I like farming and winemaking. You found the spot that you want to yeah. stay in. Yeah. No temptation? No, not more really. More wine, more money, you know, more... No, because we, if we got more money, we would, you know, we don't need anything anymore. <laughs> right. We're all set. Right. So Does, now we're just trying to keep, we just want to, if we can just keep going, then we're, we're doing just great. Just a side business question. I know you have to invest capital in the winery to get it up and running, but once it's running, is there a savings venting your own wine versus going out? Um, maybe that's maybe a good not. question, and I've penciled it out a few times, and not really. Okay, it, but it's yours. Yeah, but it's and yours. That's worth it's just worth it penny. for the control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk about diversity of grapes. So you got the properties, you got your winery now, which really, I mean, it's not even a year old. You, as much or more than anyone, are growing some of the craziest variety of grapes. You not alluded. You mentioned one earlier, Ribola Giallo. Um, how many different grapes are you growing? What are you vinting? You know, does it change every season based yeah. on weather or whim or? Mm -hmm. Well, some of the, so we grow some, and. We have some that's a little bit removed. It's, a, it's all kind of concentric circles. So the stuff we grow doesn't change every year because right. we're growing it. Like Chardonnay is an yeah. important so like crop. Yeah, so we have like so Chardonnay, Cabernet, Merlot, uh, um, Cabernet Franc. Um, we do a fair amount of Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec. Um, the one, you know, these are the ones we grow. Right. Um, Ribola Giala, Rafosco, Schio Patino. Um, so those are the ones on the properties that we own. And How then, many of those are individual bottlings? Um, like you have a Rabola bottling? Yeah, we have you a Rabola. You have a Schiopatino bottling? Yeah, most, yeah, we have a Schiopatino bottling. You do? Okay. We have a Rufosco bottling. Um, we've been pouring the Rufosco at the, actually um, tomorrow here at the festival. And then and we do a Cab Franc bottling as well as Cab Franc goes into our... Um, Blending. Blend. Right. Our, and then we have, we do a straight up Cabernet Franc. We also put Cabernet Franc into our um, our red wine, right? But then we but then we have vineyards that we that I manage, so so uh, it's not a lease, but they hire me to manage it, or it's still an arrangement where I'm managing it. Separate than the consulting thing? It's kind of separate because it's. Um, but do you have access to those grapes? Yeah. So or that's the uh, so so. Um, you split. They take some. You get some. Or? Well, yeah. Like for example, we, in Rutherford, we have a vineyard that has Greco that we planted that has Greco de Tufo. <laughs> that's a cool grape. Um, it has Grenache, Syrah, Mouved, and it has Cab Cab Franc, and that is um, and that's in Rutherford. So so that so we planted it. I manage that. And then, but then it's not a lease. What we do is we pay them 
our rent is we pay them some of the wine back. Wine or grapes? Wine. So they so we give them some they That's have their, the deal. some of their wine back for their so it keeps their, label. their property their investment vibrant. It's productive. Yeah. They see your efforts and their product they love it. as a yeah. finished product. It works for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as we were talking earlier about horticulture and viticulture, to be able to get your hands on that many different varieties. Oh, it's so cool. I mean, you must be having. And then, yeah, and then out in um, um, in the Dunnigan Hills, there's a vineyard that they hired me to um, as a, as their consultant, and we and they and I trained the vineyard manager. Where are the Dunnigan Hills? Dunnigan Hills is about an, is about an hour inland from Napa, so it's a okay. lot hotter. Right. And um, it's really cool, gravelly kind of hillside, uh, very low fertility, very hot. And so so the, out there we have, that's for our other brand, Tendu. So yeah, I wanted had, to talk to you a little about yeah, that. Yeah, so they hired so me. So while we're on that. They, so that's different properties. Different You're properties. You're not growing Tendu behind the house no, or whatever. No, Tendu works better. It's a, it's a value same. wine that's yeah. made. Tell people what Tendu is. So Tendu is a red and a white. They're really bright, clean, crisp, low alcohol. Um, you know, good table wines. Extraordinarily drinkable. Extraordinarily drinkable. And they come in they an come interesting in, yeah, bottle. One, they come in a one liter bottle with a beer cap on right. it. Right. And we really like the beer cap because it's just fun. It's are more, they vintage years? Yeah, they're vintage. Right. Yeah, they're vintage years. And they're about, you know, they're, these are red and white that are both about 11% alcohol usually. <laughs> Easy they're, drinking. The red, the red is unsulfured and unfiltered. And are those some of the farms out in Dunnigan Hills? Yeah, so that's those Dunnigan are the, those Hills. Those are the ten do. Yeah, okay. And so that so that so that would be an example where they they hired me as a consultant. We we planted all these grapes. We hired a vineyard manager who used to be a, a truck driver. I trained him on how, on how to be a vineyard Great manager. Story. So now so now um, so now we buy the grapes from them. But I feel comfortable because I trained the vineyard manager. So. We, I, mean, I know exactly what's going on. We have a great relationship, and you know, I've, you know, viticultural. If you know, it's total. It's my way of doing things. They're, they're in transition right now to organics. That was the last. What's step. What's the genesis yeah. of that? You know, here's an opportunity to make a value wine with all your practices and sensibilities, all the qualities, um, offer it at a you know good price and make it drinkable. I mean, was that a a business thing, a business extension thing, a passion? Did you want to prove to yourself, here's the best damn bottle of wine at this price you're going to taste? It, it was, it was um, kind of all of the above. It was, it was you know, we, we, you know how we, earlier we were talking about making the wine you want to drink? And we love drinking beautiful, really light-bodied, crisp wines. And, and we kind of thought, you know, they're hard to find. They're actually hard to find. And if you're drinking it every night, every other night, yeah, you don't exactly. want to lay down a lot of money. So, you know. Yeah. And I wanted to have a wine that's affordable. Anybody can so buy. So you were motivated to make that you yeah. know, product. It was, you know, the price point was really important. You know, we want a wine that people grab with their groceries, that's, but it's handmade and without a bunch of chemicals. You it's, know, it's this nice, real wine. It's very um, critically acclaimed. Uh for the type of wine it is, for the price point, well, you know, all the characteristics you describe are there, and I think that's, you know, why it's popular. I thought, uh, you know, talking to Eric Asimov about it, his point was that so many inexpensive wines are trying to be cheap versions of expensive wines rather than accept, you know, but, but whereas they, there's a style of wine, an inexpensive wine, that if, you, if it just is true to what it is, 
you know, it's not trying to be a fancy wine. We don't, you know, it's just saying I'm a nice, simple, drinkable wine. But there's a lot of connections because Eric did an article about a month ago, his annual article about great wines for about 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And he prefaced it by saying, yeah, you can get wines for less, but they're not made by farmers. You know, they're manufactured. Um, you're just not going to find the quality, you know, and the value. He said you have to start at a certain price point and you will find, you know, and that goes back to you, guys that are farming it, that have a style, that put their heart into it. And I think Tendu falls right in that, you know, category. Here's a great wine at a great price with, you know, all the great qualities. And I think Eric recognizes yeah. that, you know, as much as uh, anybody Sees, you know, when he sees when someone's trying to make the wine into something that's not, that's a big turnoff to him as it is to me. Yeah. Now, is Tendu, you know, we talked about expansion before, is Tendu something you want to keep, you know, in the right box, or is that something that, you know, can expand? If people love it and there's demand, yeah. how do you handle that? Well, um, is it, like we can make a certain amount of that. We're kind of at, at the point where we can, we, we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to kind of go out hunting for grapes if we want to expand it. We kind of like where it's at. That's Not another a priority one right like now. At. Right. It, yeah, it's at a good spot. There's enough of it that that um, we have our economy scale to get our price nice and low. Right. You know, so like when Whole Foods, like last, they, your Whole Foods did it in 130 stores, and we had enough wine to do that. You know that. So that we don't. You know. So we're not missing on great opportunities so we're just going to kind of keep it the way it is right you know it's not it's, i don't want it to take over our life it's just it's supposed to be a fun thing well i think you figured out what you want to do and where you want to be and it sounds like you're resisting a little temptation you know i mean you have the product and you could create the demand but it's important you know what you put out there yeah exactly um, you know after talking to you and just a lot of my guests and research, you know, it just seems that sustainable and organic farm practices, you know, really paying attention out there is sort of the most logical path to making probably the best wines. I just, over and over, I mean, what's your take on why don't more people do it? Cost? Lazy? Yeah. I mean, why... Why wouldn't that eventually, like you said, people buy organic food or heirloom food because that's important. You're going to put a crappy bottle of wine on the table? Yeah, exactly. Or bad crap? You, you know, why? Yeah. What is it? I don't know. You know why organics doesn't, isn't, is, I mean, it's, it's a fast growing, it's fast growing. But not well, even, think don't even get stuck on organic, sustainable. Sustainable. You know, proper practices and all that. Well, you know, the, the industry, the wine grape industry has made huge um, improvements on sustainability over the last couple decades. It, so it, it definitely has made huge, huge um, inroads. The grape industry is a little unusual in that there's there isn't a whole lot of marketplace reward for being sustainable. So you're doing it. A farmer is doing it out of the goodness of their heart. You know, it, it, it's not. Um, you don't have as much as you do with other food. You, you know, you don't have as much of that. Um, price premium. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a good point. You know, people do things. They donate money to buildings so they can get their name up on the building. Other people donate anonymously because they just care about getting the building up. I guess what you're saying is if 
people sustainably farm, and it doesn't matter, why would you do it? Yeah, I mean, it's surprising how many people do it even though no, yeah. one, no one knows it. I mean, in Bordeaux, a ton of the most famous wines are sustainable practicers. Yeah. But, you know, they don't flaunt that or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so they're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. So it's surprising, actually, how many. So I'd, I'd like to see if there's more, if there's more um, consumer push, uh, that, that would be a good thing. Right. Because that's what's, you know... I think... People, if people are willing to vote there. with their wallets, then, 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 then that's what's going to drive practices. You know, if you come to New York, you come to Brooklyn where we do our show, every other wine store is a natural wine store. Mm-hmm. The restaurants have lists. And they're not doing it just because it's hip. It's what people are asking for. They realize, you know, I want a bottle of wine that's been, you know, thoughtfully farmed, sustainable, you know, low intervention, intervention vineyard practices. I think we're on our way, but I think there's a process and it's going to take time, you know, yeah. with all of that. Um, it's it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really going to require the consumers continuing to ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I think we're on our way. All right, uh, we're going to wrap up in a few minutes, but I want to do a couple of things. We do this thing called the wine list where I ask my guests a bunch of questions. I like to get their take on, you know, what they're drinking and some habits. And, you know, I'm more intrigued with you than most people. So I'm going to ask you that. But one last thing, you and Jill grow a bunch of fruits and vegetables. I mean, that's, you love that. And so do you still sell stuff at farmer's markets oh, yeah. and make kids, all these jams? Our, I mean, this last year, our kids your took over the farmer's right? market. Right, Jill was so proud. Nice. Yeah, they they went and picked the fruit, took it to the farmers market, sold it all, and they and they volunteered to do it. So yeah, we were we were happy parents. Nice. <laughs> so in New York, there's the Union Square Farmers Market in the fall. Oh, every chef walks through it, and that's their bounty for their menu. I would guess that if you put a table of stuff out, people know it's your stuff. I would guess anybody who's a chef or oh, a the cook chef's is going, the, the chef's going nuts we, for your stuff, We sell right? more stuff to restaurants than we do to the farmer's market. That's what I figure. Yeah, mean, we, and they we, and know like, exactly what you're doing. That's yeah, like sometimes we have, a, we, we have, to, we have the problem is like, it, like, if, like the fatted calf is a great, um, you know, great butcher, and they do here in Napa, and they wanted to make a uh, matarda from our um, peaches. Really? So we gave him a flat of peaches, and then he calls later in the day, and he says, we have a problem. I need sixty more. Flat. He said they were so delicious that the staff ate them all, <laughs> and so we so we, we don't have any to make our matar. Do you have any more? Make it to the prize. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the problem when you're kind of yeah. doing local farming and all that. You know, you're not a big. You can't have the staff eat your whole product. Well, you'll always continue to do that, right? Take advantage of the land. It's a nice thing. Yeah. All right. I have a thing called the wine list. I just want to ask you about some of your wine habits because you, like the rest of us, drink some wine. So let's let's uh, give people a little peek into what you're doing so the first question we ask people is what are you drinking now are there things you're tasting or experimenting or are you kind of like one thing's on the table more than something else well um or do you tend to drink the same stuff no well we never drink the same producer i'm not good i'm not even good at telling you the names of producers much because i can never remember them all but i drink i try to you know but try to regions you know and trying to you know give we, we, you know, we want to explore and learn. Right. So we don't tend to buy a case of something. Are you on a region right now? But, um, well, there, I mean, a lot. Re, I'm really into Riesling right now. Me too. Really into Riesling. I've been drinking a lot of sake, actually. Me too. I just did a sake show. Oh, man. I, I need to clean that snow melt. I'm a sucker for that snow. We had a master of wine from um, 
uh, Japan come over, and he's tasting our wine, and he says, he goes, he goes the, the I love the purity of the flavor of the water in your wine. He could pick that up. And I was sitting there going, like you know, because that's it, crazy. No, you know, like being a lover of sake, I knew exactly what he was saying, and I was so I thought that is such a compliment. A lot of people would be like, "What the hell? You're saying my wine tastes like water?" Yeah, but, no, no, but no, you it, knew exactly where it's it, and the, he knew what he was saying. Yeah, the purity of that water that. Have you ever had good a Yamahai? It's this very earthy, uh, musky sake. Oh, okay. It's, if, if, when you get back, look for, ask for Yamahai. It's Yamahai. a style. I think Y-A-M-A-H-A-I. Got it. It's a little different than some of the sakis. We did a tasting on air with a, a sake master and a woman who imports. All right, do you have, this is a silly question, but it's a wine question. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something that... Uh, my favorite wine and food pairing. I mean, I love... Um, we had really great Dungeness crab. That's Northern California. So fish. So, so Dun- Dungeness crab, we eat that cold. And, we, and, and we'll do that with Chardonnay. Um, American Chardonnay, Chablis, what? Well, American Chardonnay. And, you know, and so, like, you know, we drink a lot of our friends' wine. So, like, you know, because, you know be, so there's a lot of great wines right now being, going on in... Um, California, like Nathan, yeah, like Nathan. So we trade with them every year. Have been for years. We have a nice little seller that, like, I just got an email from Grand Tatomer saying, "Hey, you know, uh, are my Matthias and stocks getting low? Are you ready for a trade? Trade with anyone we can trade with. You know, like we'll trade with Raj and Sashi. Trade with, you know, like like the Sanford and Benedict." Sandy Chardonnay has that richness with that acid. So with Dungeness that's Crab, a good. that's a really amazing pairing. Okay, so a good um, uh, Rajpar Sandy Chard with Dungeness Crab. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, do you, I know you stay in a lot, but do you have a favorite wine restaurant or bar, I guess, in the area that does it well, has a good wine selection, oh, people man. that know it? You know, that's without leaving because, anyone out or incriminating They're anybody. all my friends. But, you know, like the newest one to open up that is, a, I think, is a game changer is Compline in Napa. What's it called? Compline, C-O-M-P-L-I-N-E. And when you say game changer, they're doing something a little different than what yeah, everyone yeah, else? Yeah, they're, they're just, um, you know, it's wine, it's an it's a international wine list that um, with a lot of really um, intellectual wines that are, that are affordably priced. But is, um, that's not a knock, but... Does everyone in Napa feel they need to support local winemakers and have a domestic list? Well, it's, so it's extremely like, It's like if you work in Detroit and buy a Toyota, you know, you're like an asshole. Is it a bad thing in Napa? Um, it, it's, but it's, everybody wants so, to try some yeah, of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it puts people, restaurants in Napa feel the pressure. And this is part of having a restaurant. So in Napa. they went in and broke it open. Well, with yeah, that. they have their domestics too. They've been yeah, running, no, but they've, they've been running our Pinot Meunier by the glass now for um, four months. Nice. And, um, and so, you know, so, but, That's you know, they're trying to mix it up. Mention. It's a Napa Valley Pinot Meunier. Pinot Meunier is one of the famous blending grapes in Champagne. Everyone forgets Champagne's a wine. They put the bubbles in and all of that. All right, so that's a good one. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite all-time wine? Is there a wine that you tasted? It could have been a wine on your first date. It could have been a birth yeah. wine. Is there something that's just still oh wow to this day? Favorite all-timer. You may not. I'm not going to back you against the wall if it's... I mean, I have, like, some... Or a few. You, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to come down to one. Yeah. You know, that's a toughie. You know, like, like, what, like I always was partial 
um, like to the old back when Mondavi was was run by Robert, you know, and Tim Mondavi. Um, those, what are you talking? Seventies, eighties, eighties, nineties, early nineties, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, because the first great wine I ever had was the nineteen ninety Mondavi Reserve, Reserve. Cabernet. Which was the eighty seven was killer. That's still, so that's like a model for me, right? And you know, a lot of people if they haven't don't remember that era wouldn't understand because you know it's a very different winery now, right? But you know the level totally of, in in every sense ownership, yeah. vision, you know, product and all of that. So yeah. good old Mondavi Reserve. Yeah. So like the ninety, I was born in sixty nine. My wife got that for a birth year wine for me when I turned forty five. Had a and, drink. And Did it you was drink it? Beautiful red cherries. Mm. You know, I just had I just tasted the the um, seventy two um, Claude Duval Cabernet um, with Steven Spurrier actually, and they were filming the Psalm Three, and that was a really cool thing last week. And that was it's, it started out kind of um, leather and kind of a yellow curry, and I thought we're gonna let's see what this does in the glass. It might just drop off. Is it, is it, and then it, all this red cherry came out. It, it was so held vibrant. On. Held on. It was so nice. vibrant. And and um, twelve five alcohol, and I was asking those guys, oh, could you release a wine like this now? I mean, you know, like we, you wouldn't score well. I mean, like because we're trying, you know, that's what we're we're trying to do. Those, but our wine is riper than that. When that went into the bottle, our cab is riper than that even, and and that driving acid that that wine had held it for forty. Plus year, forty five years. Have you ever tried a seventy four Heights Martha's Vineyard? I don't know if 74, but the old Heights Martha Vineyards I had, pretty had good. are pretty awesome. Pretty good. I mean, if, I, I love the eucalyptus. Yeah. I mean, it's just... I'm a sucker for... It's just it's like, you know it right away. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. All right, the last question we ask people, and I'm going to answer this for you, um, because we talk to a lot of Psalms, winemakers, people who are just around wine, and I always ask people, tell me about the best wine around 15, 20 bucks retail. And I always preface it because I have kids in the tw- in their 20s, mm-hmm. and they're going to dinners, and they don't want to bring a crappy bottle, but they don't have the money to spend. You yeah. know, so what's the bottle? So I'm going to answer first, and if you want to throw in, I think the perfect answer for this is a 10-do red and a 10-do Oh, white. there you go. I think, you know, if you're really looking for well-thought-out, well-made, delicious, which is a great adjective for wine, wines, you know, you, you could do 10-do's. Um, Anything else come well, to mind? I do, well, uh, what I get, I, uh, that price point is tough in California. Yes. Not, I mean, people do it. Yes, and when I ask, you don't get a lot of cat. You get Muscadet and Loire, yeah. Chinon from, you know, France. Yeah. <laughs> but, but not a lot there, of there's Napa. Some, um, but there's some folks are really shooting in for, you know, shooting in, in California are still trying to find that value category. You like, did it. You know, like Hobo is, as, you know, is really trying to make affordable wines. But what I, what a lot of times what I tell people is, is it, it, my friends that are like, don't want to spend a lot of money on wine is, it, it, you know, first off, you have to be in an independent wine shop. Right. And then, and then look at the, turn the bottle around and look at the back label and, 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 and find a wine that's in the price point you're looking for and then see who imports it. And I get, you know, so it's like if it's Dresner or Rosenthal or Jose Pastor or, you know, um, chances are it's going to be a really good Those guys. real handmade wine and if it's in that price point just get it it's, you know so you know like like i i buy a lot of times by by importer when i don't know the producer i agree you know you in just, new york it's a lot easier because of availability but where you are but yeah. also 
if you have a good wine store and the guy that's running it is kind of tuned in and you ask him and, you know, tell him your taste, he's probably out there curating stuff and trying to get the Pastor and the Dresdner and the Terry Thies and all that stuff. Right, right. So importer's an important thing, and I think, you know... But, yeah, number one is is going to your wine store and telling them what you're looking for. Right, and I agree. You know, as long as it's a small place where the person who you're talking to... All right, we're going to wrap up. ...knows and cares. We're going to wrap up. Um, I really appreciate you sitting with me, Um, and it was worth the time, like I said, chasing you around, and it was nice to catch up with you at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. You're down here doing a couple of things, right? Tell me what you're doing. You're doing a dinner. We're doing dinner tonight um, with Stephen Satterfield, which we're really excited about. We did a dinner with him here a few years back that was just phenomenal. At uh, Um, zero... um, Zero George? Zero George. Zero George, right. They're doing a bunch of dinners down there. And are you doing another event? Yeah, and then tomorrow I'm doing an event with Anson Mills Green. Oh, right. I'm really excited about that one as well. When I saw that, I said, that makes sense. I uh, I don't know if it was a coincidence, but, you know, because we've been growing Heritage Greens. We've been playing with it. I've been doing corns. Last year we grew Red Fife Wheat, actually, between the olive trees. Right. And so I'm really excited on that one. That'll and be then great. And we're doing unicorn wine pouring. We call it unicorn wines. It's kind of silly. But um, at, at Monarch. Um, Monarch's yeah. a great store in town, a little north on King, I think. Um, that'll be nice. So is it going to be you and some other yeah. people? Yeah. So it'll be a Charleston wine and food event? Yep. And it'll be a bunch of very cool wine guys pouring for a couple hours. That's when? Saturday? That is tomorrow afternoon. Friday, Friday afternoon. from when to when? Um, I need to look at my schedule. All right. Well, remember remember I said that I have a really good um, wife who keeps me organized? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, back, she's not she, here. She's back home, and she's texting me with where I need That's to go and right, what right, I need right. to do. That's all right. All right, listen. <laughs> Steve Mathiason from Mathiason Family Winery, thank you for coming on The Grape Nation. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We'll post Steve's wine list answers on our social media, Instagram and Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, and you can now follow hashtags. So follow us at hashtag The Grape Nation and at Twitter at BenRuby. Thank you to our guest, Steve Mathiason. Thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.